it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Buzz! 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 Welcome back to a special season preview edition of At The Buzzer, which is a Rock Report podcast um, that talks about CU athletics. But today we don't care about the whole athletics ecosystem. We care about one sport, and that is men's basketball. Um, you know, I'm one half of the co-hosts, Jack. The other half over there is Sam. Welcome back from his extended European vacation. Um, and then that doesn't matter because we have a special expert <laughs> coming in. And that is, of course, the rumbling buff himself, Ben Burroughs. Welcome back. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, happy to be back, and uh, uh, thank you for inviting me. Um, this is going to be a really interesting season to talk about, and I'm, I'm just excited as hell to, to get going. Yeah, so I, I've seen it's, it's that time of year. You know, it's almost November when you start making the podcast rounds. Now that your, uh, your big book of basketball is not coming out yearly, you <laughs> are disseminating knowledge in other ways, which we greatly appreciate over here. So um it's time to disseminate some knowledge before november 9th i guess which is montana state am i right montana yeah, state's well, first game yeah, yeah. Right. montana state perfect um so this is a completely random in terms of timing we also just saw a nice exhibition game against a power five opponent in nebraska if you can call them a power five opponent um and cu walked away from that one i think with a 16 point loss mm-hmm. um and before that, I think Ben and I both had a chance to take in the Minds exhibition in person. Um, and Ben also had a chance, the one of three of us, to see the team uh, in an open practice before a CU football game. So we're starting to see more of this team, some brand new faces, some slightly new faces, and of course, fan favorite Evan Batty. Um, before we get into any specific 
findings from any of that. I just wanted a quick overview, Ben, of, of what you've seen from this team so far or, um, you know, what you want to see, I guess. Uh, well, so far we haven't seen too, too much that I would take, you know, you know, try to extrapolate long-term, you know, this is a developing team or a development program. This is a development year. Um, as Tad has talked about multiple times, the team in November and December is going to be different, hopefully from the team in January, February, and, and eventually March. Uh, this is, they're going to be growing. They're going to be developing. So if you sat down on Saturday and watched a Nebraska game, um, it was a little ugly. And, you know, if you weren't really coming into the season prepared for that, you might be a little shocked. Uh, I would, I would caution you from taking that too seriously. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly there is a lot to learn, a lot to to develop and a lot to, um, you know, sort of, you know, take to the practice table with those guys. And I'm sure Tad and the staff are doing that, but in terms Mm -hmm. of how, you know, we should be approaching the season, I wouldn't take, too much from these from these uh, exhibitions. What we can take from them, however, is a good understanding of where the players are and kind of get a sense for where the rotation will be in a couple couple weeks, couple months. And I think we we have some some little uh, stones that we can read, some little yeah. that we can read uh, in and amongst that. Yeah, I do want to cross it. I mean, a lot of teams say they're young, and a lot of teams say they're young early um, to caution fans against you know some clunker performances. We've seen the football team use that excuse a little one too many times. Um, this team is actually really, really young. Um, I, I, someone, I, I mean, I don't think Tad mentioned this, but someone pointed out that Nebraska exhibition there was six thousand uh, stand or fans in the stands, and that was the first time ten players on CU's twelve man scholarship roster had played in front of fans. Period, because of COVID. Jesus. Yeah, and and that's on the road in a Power Five environment. That's you know. I guess it depends on how much you care about crowd noise and stuff. I think that would obviously affect you, especially as if it's your first college minutes, you're going to be excited. You're going to be nervous and all those things. Um, yeah. And, and, and if you want me to whine a little bit, I would also whine a little bit about how, <laughs> how seriously maybe Nebraska took that. Like they played their starters a little longer than maybe I would have expected. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm not going to argue with it. You know, at the end of the day, it's an exhibition. However they want to use it. That's that's on yeah. them. Tad's using it for a very specific purpose. And I'm not saying that's why we lost or that's why we looked bad because there, there was a lot of ugly, particularly early in that game. Um, yeah. But yeah. the you whole to, point, yeah. You have Go to ahead. take the wins where, where, when you can in Lincoln these yeah. days. Right. Uh, oh, but yeah. The whole point of that scrimmage was to, as you noted, get those 10 players in front of a crowd before November 9th. And that box was checked. And that's really the only box I cared about. Yeah, I yeah. So let's just get into the Nebraska game. I think it's the one we might glean the most from before real play starts. Um, yeah, see, I think CU went down in the first half. There was a 36-13 line, or maybe even a 39-13 line somewhere in there when Nebraska was way up. Um, and it looked, you know, from then on, it was pretty much in hand. I don't think there was anything. CU kind of got it close near the end, but it, it, you ended up with I think it was an 82-68 score, 82-66 score. Um, and there was not much resistance on the perimeter for Nebraska. They had a lot of shots go in. Some of them were really good shots. Some of them were shots that if the CU player took that shot, I would be flabbergasted. Um, but they went in. And then the other side, we saw again that CU went, I think, what was it, three for 18 from the three-point line um, in that exhibition. So to me, the, the main thing that took away from that is, number one, shooting is going to be on and off all year this year. Um, just – Young team, a lot of shooters graduated. 
and road splits anyways are, are not that favorable. And then number two, um, I don't know. It, it's, it might take this time some team take this team some time to gel defensively. I think those are two things that I took away from that. Well, it, it also leads into my my overall outlook for the season. You mentioned that shooting was was kind of ugly in scrimmage. And again, we don't want to extrapolate too much from one game, but last year, especially with the depth at the wing with Dryhorn, with Sean Schwartz, etc., mm-hmm. you had a bunch of shooters. You had you had a you had a team that could in some games, and they did do this, just simply outshoot opponents. Um, you know, on on a night when your defense is struggling, or maybe other things aren't working, if you can cash those threes, you know that that helps. And they don't have that depth this season. There are guys who can shoot. You know, I, I have no problem with Keyshawn or even Tristan Jabari. You know, taking those outside jumpers, Elijah. Um, but they're not the volume kind of shooters that we maybe had last year. The consistent volume kind of shooters, and um, you won't be able to just shoot yourself out of trouble this season uh, as, as as the Buffs. You're going to have to, as you noted, rely on defense, and especially with the young team. That's going to take a while to really develop, particularly at to Tad's level of expectation on that end. Um, and again, that kind of leads to the the concept that you're going to be better in January than you were in in December yeah. and, and November. Yeah, Sam. Well, I know you got, had a chance to see some of that game. What did you What did you take away? Yeah, I just think a lot of the young players um, they're they're definitely figuring out where they need to be defensively. It seemed like they got a bit lost and confused in commotion mm-hmm. and uh, like just lost track of their guys and were like late to contest. And there's a lot of times where you can see like Eli and Evan who know where they're supposed to be are like pointing at other guys to <laughs> to be where they're supposed to be because it will be a struggle. And but that's really to what Ben was saying. Yeah. I, yeah, and I, I guess I wanted to start with just overall uh, some game flow impressions before I get too excited about a lot of the things I saw from that game because I think that also will bleed over into full like season expectations. But, you know, it was our first time seeing K.J. Simpson against a, a real opponent that's not D2. It's our first time seeing Boston <laughs> Lovering out there. You know, a lot of these guys that uh, we will be seeing a lot of for a long time. And it was our first time seeing them in, in real game action. And thankfully, it didn't count against the win-loss column. Um, but it's hard not to be excited about the, the future. If, if it's not this year, then the next multiple years um, with this recruiting class. And another thing I keep thinking about, too, is, man, it would be nice when we shoot three for 18 from three to have Quincy Allen out there, who is out for the year. It would be nice to have mm-hmm. him shoot those shots because that guy is a sniper. Yeah, and and – Tad made a very conscious decision not to to bring back either Horn or Deshaun. And I think part of the calculus that went into that decision was, well, yeah, I definitely want to get guys like Luke O'Brien and Nick Clifford and uh, and uh, Tristan, you know, more minutes. Um, but I think the other part of that ca- calculation was not only do I want to get them more minutes, but I've got depth at that position because Quincy's coming in. And then all of a sudden you don't have that. And I'm not saying he's going to regret his decision or it was a mistake. I don't believe that. Uh, in either case, but you can certainly see an effect between Quincy not going to be there this year and some of the holes on the roster. And I can't help but think that had he known that Quincy wouldn't have been this year, that maybe he would have chosen a different path there. Regardless, we, we are where we are and we're moving forward. Yeah. I think the other thing I want to mention there too is genuinely Tad Boyle's always, it's always been a player led program. And I think that is, it's a really good thing that Schwartz will be able to star or at least be the high-level starter at George Mason and take more shots than he would have taken at CU potentially. 
And the same with Dallas Walton at Wake Forest. You know, I think all these players went to places that allow them to showcase. Kind of like, um, where, where did Treshawn Fletcher go his last year? Toledo. Uh, Toledo. 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 Yeah, and he, you know, he averaged what was it like eighteen and ten or something? Like something that he, wasn't he was a monster. He was like he was like twenty one and uh, yeah, twenty one ten or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah he was yeah. no and Mac Player of the Year. Mac Player of the Year. Yeah. Yeah. So something that he never would have had that volume with see you and I'm, we're, I'm glad that I think Deshaun will be able to showcase some more at George Mason and you know it's they're all going to be in better situations and I think you know they will appreciate that and that also trickles down I mean Tad, Tad's always trying to do right by those guys and it helps you know when the perspective recruits come in and they see that you know there's, there's really no bad divorce there but I don't know it would have been nice to have someone like Hornback or Schwartzback just to take some of those shots for sure uh, do we think that the the starters against Nebraska are going to be the starters on day one? Uh, those, yes. those being really quick: Keyshawn, Eli, Tristan Silva, Jabari Walker, Evan Batty. I believe the starting five. Yeah, so that's like none of those are unexpected except for Tristan. To some, I, I we we've talked about that a lot <laughs> about what how Tad would lean, and it seems like they're going to go length and defense as much as they can to start games. Well, I also don't know what where else he could have gone with that. Um, you know, yeah. again, without yep. Quincy, without having retained either Jariah or Deshaun. Um, like, I, I think the starting five is pretty much in stone. I think it will be throughout the season unless something weird happens or, like, Neat Clifford takes a huge leap. Um, mm-hmm. Although he's he's continued to really kind of impress um, throughout the preseason. Uh, yeah, those starting five is pretty much in stone. And then I think that your next tier, you're, like, rotational three – I think we, we've got a pretty good solid idea of what one through eight is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's after that, that I'm kind of like, well, is it someone going to step up? Um, you know, for, for reference, my rotational pieces would look like KJ, some form of KJ Lawson or Neek. Um, yeah. You know, who's first off the bench out of those three, not really sure, but game to game, those three are going to be the first set off the bench. And then uh, more of a fringe role player like Julian Hammond, uh, or Luke O'Brien, they're going to get game time. You know, believe me, they're going to get game time. We are going to go. We're going to go ten deep, uh, particularly because I think Luke's going to be needed on the wing from time to time. Um, mm-hmm. But but those are pretty much set in stone. But particularly the starting five, like I, I can't really see anything shaking that up from Taz's perspective right now, unless mm-hmm. there is a big leap forward from someone like Neek. Yeah, I was thinking so- like we were thinking at the beginning of the season they might run like a two guards and then Eli would play the three. Um, but uh, it seems like they're probably not going to go with that, especially since they have less depth. Yeah, yeah, especially if the the guard depth isn't there. Yeah, i I can see I, I can see what you're saying. Okay, let's start KJ Simpson, but then you're a little short in the backcourt uh, yeah. to start a game. Um, you also lose that spark off the bench. I I I really look at KJ as someone who's going to bring in that energy every time he he gets up off the bench, enters a game. Mm. Both, both offensively, but also defensively, um, it's it's going to be nothing but energy, and that's the kind of guy. Like, I kind of think back almost, and I don't want to compare the two because their <laughs> games aren't their games aren't identical. So don't go, don't, don't do go it. too far down this. But but Ski Booker, right? Ski Booker's freshman yeah, year, he was spark plug off the bench. He was microwave off the bench, and I think ultimately that's the role that KJ will play, even though they're not necessarily directly comparable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think it's going to be the easy comp for a lot of people, too, in terms of just, like, profile, especially physically. Both mm-hmm. SoCal guards that came in. Yeah, I, yeah, and I mean, 
I don't know. I don't know if pugna- pugnacious is the right word, but they both are definitely not scared. You know, like they are going to like I, just watching the minds exhibition in person. It was fun to see. KJ is already so loud, like in yes. general, just on the court. He's already so vocal, like saying you know, not necessarily all trash talk, but just like with his teammates, with the end, like, you know where he is at all times. And that's so fun um, to, to see, to be around as long as it's not out of control. I don't think it's out of control at all, but um mm-hmm. That was yeah. yeah, that was my that was my first impression from even like the the open scrimmage they had too. Um first play of the game, he he rips uh he rips for a breakaway layup dunk. Like it, you know, and he wasn't like trash talking, but he was very vocal, he was very out there. Like he plays with his personality. Some mm-hmm. guys try to be reserved, you know, but but kind of an Evan kind of thing. You you play with your emotion, you play with your personality. Uh and I think he's definitely that player. Yeah, I guess that's a, that's a new uh, duality choice we're going to give every CU recruit. Are you an Evan or are you an Eli? Everyone's either an Evan or an Eli. Um, go ahead. Okay. Um, do you see any other like swing factors within the rotation, like something that you're looking for as the season goes along? Uh, obviously, key with, with any sort of TAD team is defense. Who's going to contribute defensively? Uh, you know, if, if a player is scoring but they can't defend, they're, they're going to see their playing time uh, evaporate. I think that more, mm-hmm. more than anything is why, you know, Tristan's out there is because he's a committed defender, that kind of thing. Um, you know, and he has a lot more like driving game than we thought that yeah. he showed. I mean, he's, a, he's a jack of all trades. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He, he can do so, so many different things, but particularly defensively, that, that'll earn you playing time yeah. in, in, in Tad's system. Um, you know, there's, there, there's, there's another as- aspect of this, which is foul trouble. We talk about that a lot with, um, <laughs> with like Jabari. Like, you know, how much, how much can we really rely on this guy to be out there 25, 30 minutes a game if he's still fouling people at a 6 per 40 rate? I mean, that's Dustin Thomas levels. We can't have that. Um, <laughs> But uh, but realistically, defensively, we're going to have to rely on our defense, as I mentioned earlier. Who is going to step up defensively? Who wants to guard other than Elijah? Um, if there's someone who can really commit to that, like they're going to earn playing time. They're going to re- they're going to start to eat into playing time. I'm really looking at a guy like Neek. Like, can Neek be that that defender? That's when you might see him start to start. Uh, yeah, I you know especially just the Nebraska game. I actually really really like what he looked like in that game. For Nick Clifford, um, I don't know if we want to like go through a full rotation yet, but I kind of expect him to be a sixth man or maybe come in as a package deal whenever KJ comes in. Because to me, it was so fun to see. He's a really good rebounder already at whatever he is, six six, six seven, um, and he has the ability because he played so much point in his life to just take it the board, the defensive rebound, and just go. Um, and KJ is always trying to push the pace already, and it's it, it, so it's fun for me in Nebraska to do that a few times where Clifford got the board and just go, went. KJ mm-hmm. was already sprinting. They got to KJ at like half court and then you have a three on two fast break or whatever. Um, they didn't finish those as much as I'd like them to, but still that's something that's really fun. That is, is useful that, that Clifford can bring. Um, Cause he attacks the glass. He has been, even since the Costa Rica games this summer has been attacking the glass, I think pretty hard on both sides. Um, and the fact that he can handle the ball out of that, at least for a little bit, is just such a nice thing to speed up the, the pace a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's almost a throwback to the mid-decade version of Tad's program, where he was trying to get a bunch of six, 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 seven tweeners and yeah. try to call him a point guard. And um, I, I get the sense that they've moved away from that with Neek, that they understand he's more of a wing. 
uh, and they're not trying to force feed him as a point guard anymore, especially because they have a little bit more depth at that position with uh, uh, with Julian and with with KJ. Um, mm-hmm. But as you pointed out, he can't. He has those skills. Um, he he can bring the ball to court, and it's more of a, a fringe benefit with a three with him at a three than it would have been like, oh, we need to rely on him as a point guard. Um, you know, we've seen where that kind of goes with like a Jaron Hopkins type, where we're just like. Well, he's tall and he can handle. He's a point guard now. Like <laughs> we've moved away from that a little bit, uh, which I which I think is is positive for the for the program. But yeah, I think if you're looking for a pivot player, a player who if he really blows up could could change this team from being one way to another. Like yeah. Neek, Neek is kind of that guy where he, yeah. he can he can really sort of take whatever the mix is and whatever it ends up being rotational wise and take it to a ne- another level. Yeah. Um, so really quick, just to organize all of this, I want to go through some of what we think, let's say the top eight players are going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so we think a starting point guard, Keyshawn Bartholomew solidified that position. Um, you know, red shirt, COVID freshman, whatever you want to call him. He's still technically a freshman, I guess. Um, from Canada. I think he's quick. a sophomore at this point. Cause he, he, well, uh, so yeah, he had the COVID year, but I think he is technically a, um, sophomore. A sophomore. Okay. He's a sophomore, but after his senior year, he could apply for his sixth year. Yeah. Is that how they're doing COVID? Okay. I think so, yes. Because he, he redshirted in 2019, played last year as a redshirt freshman. So, yeah, yeah redshirt sophomore. 30 on the program, which makes him a, a surly vet on this team for sure. Um, yes, yeah, speedy guy, 6'2", what did you say, 6'2", like 180? I don't know. Not, not thick for sure. But, I think he's a um, solid six two as well. Like he he doesn't play small. No. Yeah, and definitely he's not McKinley right in every aspect. We shouldn't try to force him in that role. No one's going to be. Um, but he he brings some things. He's a more willing shooter, I think, already off the bounce than than McKinley was for sure. Um, and I, you know, I Dad mentioned it a few times McKinley Wright wasn't slow, but I think Keyshawn's really really fast when he wants to be. Um, him and him and KJ both just have quite a bit of speed. So I think he's locked in as starting point guard um, for the season. Shooting guard, Eli Parquet has been locked in there for a while. We all know who that is. Um, defensive front runner, probably in the running for Pac-12 defensive player of the year. I don't know if he's – I don't know enough about the other teams to know if he's going to be number one. I would assume it's between him and Haquez at UCLA, but I'm not sure. He's going to be on the list. Uh, he's certainly going to be on the team at the end of the year if he gets a full season in. Um, I think mm-hmm. – that's somewhat of a reputational kind of thing because it's hard to put mm-hmm. up defensive stats unless you're blocking every shot, like, like a Deandre wow. would be or something like that. Um, so it's a reputational honor. And there was between last year's postseason stuff um, uh, and him getting awards there, but also uh, there's a clear understanding that the two players on this, the two seniors on this team, uh, Evan, who we'll get to in a second and, uh, and Elijah are both um, are both really strong defenders. Uh, and it's their st- and it's one of the standout parts of their game. And reputational wise, he has that. So yeah, he's going to be on that list at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, also worth noting is the athletic. They did a thing on. They pulled all the players in the Pac-12 and the ones who responded. And the top two players of hardest to score on were Eli and Evan. Yep. Which is always nice to see. Reputation. It goes down. <laughs> I was about Reputation. to say, yeah, Taz is going to put that. That's going to be his motivation when he wakes up. He's just going to put that <laughs> on his in his vanity mirror. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say he's locked in a shooting guard. Um, we, we saw a bit more of a, the dribble in and pull-up game at the end of last year. I think it's going to continue a bit this year. Um, yeah, I, I like his shot, so I, I hope he shoots a bit more. 
I like his shot when it's open. I don't know that he can be a guy who suddenly flips a switch and I'm going to put up three or four shots a game, you know, mm-hmm. threes a game. Like, I don't think he can be that guy. I don't think he can be a score guard. I think yeah. he will get his points, but they've got to be situational. I, nor do I think he has the mentality to try to force his own sure. shot like that. Yeah. Um, and we mentioned at the top two, he's, he's one of the two senior leaders with Evan Batty. Eli Parquet is definitely more the quiet assassin type. Um, been challenged to be more vocal this year by Tad Boyle. Um, and, and we'll see if that works out. You know, I think Evan has enough voice for everyone in the room too, but Eli's definitely more of a do as I am, you know, I'm going to show you how to act. Um, kind of in that Josh Scott mold, I guess it would be a, a way to put that, but another one of the leaders on this team for sure. Um, at small forward, part of the most unsettled position. We have Tristan De Silva, Six eight, six nine. I don't know. He's kind of still growing from Germany. Um, listed as six ten now, and um, what? Yeah, <laughs> that would be nice. I don't uh, yeah, believe I, it, but that would be. Nice. I, I kind of did a double take when I when I oh, saw that uh, at the scrimmage the other week. Um, I, I was uh, yeah, I was a little surprised by that. Um, he doesn't feel six ten, but no. hey, <laughs> he looks six yeah. seven. I don't. I think he's. I think he's definitely a bit. He's gotten taller than he was last year for sure. Um, I don't think he's six seven, but he's. I don't know. Like that puts him into. Regardless, he's pretty tall for a small forward. Um, gotten bulkier since last year. Another one of those COVID freshmen, so red sophomore. We didn't want to call that. Um, pretty young, younger brother of Oscar De Silva, who started at Stanford forever. And I don't know. He's super versatile. We've mentioned that on defense already. Um, on offense, he, I, I like him because he just ungums the works a lot. He always kind of moves where there's not a body already and does a pretty good job doing so, some of those short drives. And interior passing, I think he's a really good interior passer. Yeah, the big thing with him is just high basketball IQ. Like cross, He can Definitely. play a number of different positions. He can even play two if you wanted to. Wanted him to. Like I think he can really play two through five. Um, mm. certainly three through five, he can play any number of positions. He can guard any number of different people. He's, he's, you know, your Swiss army knife. He can really kind of fix mm-hmm. a lot of problems. And I think that's really what Ted gets him. He's not a star player, but I don't want to completely, uh, shade him by saying this, but he's a role player and he play whatever role you want. And that's where a guy like Tad really starts to be like, Oh, I like this guy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the glue I, guy, yeah. he'll make everything fit together. Yeah, I, I always – I don't know. That term always seems a little bit like – he's not an end-of-bench glue guy, though. He's not like your Nick Carlson dude. Um, what? Though, I, I hope he's Nick Carlson. I'm not talking but, about that. Okay. Well, yeah. So uh, how, would you, <laughs> how would you describe Tristan's game? Well, I mean, like, Andre Kirilenko was also a glue guy. That would be a very fun comparison that I hope becomes true. AK-47. I haven't, I haven't thought of AK-47 in a long time. Like, I think about him every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a full back tattoo that I believe is like a Russian demon bat. <laughs> um, so power forward is going to be Jabari Walker, um, probably the most ballyhooed mm-hmm. returner um, at the CU team. He's somewhere like six eight, six nine, um, and he came on the scene pretty heavily last year as a freshman. In between all of his fouls, he found time to <laughs> score a bunch of points. Um, and he just completely dominated Georgetown in the NCAA tournament game, which is a great stage to dominate someone in. Um, I, I think he's probably the most natural scorer on this team. Um, 
He's capable of being a number one option on offense. Um, the thing I've seen so far this year with him that makes me a bit worried is I think both in lines in Nebraska, he just checked out a bit at times. Maybe that's because the, the games don't matter yet in their college kids still, but something to, to keep in mind is, you know, there might be times like that when he just checks out a bit and gets those dumb cheap fouls and has to sit. But I, I still think he's, I don't know, he can score at all three levels. He's a really fun guy to watch. Um, and when he rebounds hard, he's one of the best rebounders, I think, in the conference. So, yeah, um, high motor guy. Uh, he He's all over the place when he wants to be. Um, he maybe isn't as, as athletic as you think he is, but he is a really good mm-hmm. athlete, uh, can do a lot of different things. Obviously, we've seen the shooting. Um, he can stretch people all over the court. Uh, really good stuff there. Um, so, yeah, the foul trouble. Okay, so where are we getting here? Um so mines again. We're talking small sample sizes. We're talking. We're talking exhibitions. Uh, the mines game. I was a little concerned that okay, here's a situation where his first opportunity to impress in front of of uh, a live crowd, um, right? At, at home. Well, he picks up uh, a cheap foul. Okay, how is he going to react? Well, his reaction was to keep putting himself in situations where if I was a ref, I would have blown the whistle. You know, he's leaning on guys and some some of it was energy and okay he's being a little too aggressive but then there was a mix of sort of weird like not lazy but just like not paying attention as you as you noted maybe not checked in um maybe not this focus moments and it's like okay this should have been something that you were preparing yourself for how am i going to react in those moments and the first opportunity i get to see him live him in person and he's putting himself in positions that i'm i'm immediately like oh my god and he yeah. did fall out of that game, and he fell out of that game pretty, uh, pretty efficiently. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lingering concern. How long is he gonna be on the court? Can he stay out of foul trouble? The interesting thing is we have more forward depth than we've had in, in previous years. So even if he does get in foul trouble, I think we can patch over it for for spurts. But yeah, as you pointed, he's one of the he's one of the key scorers on this team, and if he's not able to be out there, I wonder how efficient and effective we're gonna be offensively. So he's got to stay out of foul trouble. He's got to cut that number of six fouls per 40 down to something in at least the high fours. Can we get down to like 4.9 per 40? That would be helpful. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you mentioned the forward depth, but I'm worried that in games where he's in foul trouble, we're going to have to rely on Luke O'Brien to play some more minutes than we would expect. And I don't want to segue too quickly into the bench, but I don't necessarily feel comfortable with that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I, I don't know. I don't, Tad's not going to want to go small when he doesn't have Jabari, even if that's the best idea. The thing uh, is, there's a lot of, a lot of length on, on this bench. Um, and so I don't know how mm-hmm. small we'll have to go. Uh, but yeah, and we'll talk about Luke, I'm, I'm sure, in, in a bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess here's a fun question How many games this year is Jabari going to test the you sit out with two fouls in the first half rule? Most almost every game. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Um, finally at center, we all we all know him. We all love him. We're all going to cry on his senior day. It is Evan Batty um, coming back for what feels like his twentieth year in CU, but it's really I believe his fourth on the court. Um, and Batty is the unquestioned soul, heart of this team. Everything you know, he's, he's he is the leader. If you're going to pick one. Um, and he embraces that role wholeheartedly. He is, you know, an amazing teammate. We'll see him constantly pick other people up off the floor. You'll see him be a ball of energy uh, at center. He's a fun 
college ball prospect. He's like six eight and two sixty. I don't know whatever you want to call him. He's he's sculpted that two sixty from from fat to muscle over the last four years. Um, and now he's just a, a big amount of fun. Um, he's on offense. He's high energy. I would say he, he's comfortable in the post. Um, and on defense, he's he's one of the a great post defender with a lot of length and a lot of size. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to describe his game if people somehow have not seen his game. But that seems like a good place to start. Just energy and uh, and length and size. <laughs> Yeah, um, so I was, I was talking with a couple other uh, a couple other guys uh, the other week, uh, the the, uh, the free balling guys, and um, the thing I said about Evan was, I think he's probably one of the most beloved figures in the history of the university, and I'm not talking about just you mm-hmm. know, the basketball program or just athletics. I think he is legitimately one of those guys who supersedes just the the athletics mindset and is an entire campus personality. Um, and as you noted, when when he graduates, his senior night is going to be a <laughs> an emotional time um, for, for everyone who follows this program um, in, in terms of who he is as a player. Uh, Cause I think it's hard to completely summarize who's, who he is as a person and what he means to the program at large, but who he is as a, as a player, very efficient score um, knows how to use his size on both the offense and defense. Um, I compared him to uh, like an eighties Cadillac. He is wide and he controls the lane. Um, I, I'm surprised <laughs> when I saw him at the Coors Event Center early the, or, uh, a couple weeks ago. Like he somehow got even wider. Uh, yeah, like he takes up a lot of space. <laughs> um, at one point, Lawson ran into him on a on a screen situation, and it was there was this loud cacophonous thud that you could hear across the gym. Evan didn't move. Lawson fell to the ground, and Lawson. We'll get to him. He is not a small dude. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, Evan, Evan is a, is a large boy. He's an efficient scorer. Um, he will struggle sometimes to score against length and athleticism, um, but I think he's getting smarter at that. His numbers, his offensive numbers have been essentially the same in terms of efficiency wise since he showed up. Um, I don't think he can really shoot, although sometimes he falls in love with his shot. Uh, I, w- I would much prefer him to to stay as a pivot, to stay in, in, in a drive situation, to stay with his back to the basket um, and use his moves, you know, those kind of th- things. I don't want him to fall in love with this shot, but offensively, he is a very efficient scorer, particularly at the rim. Um, yeah. You wouldn't, know that the... from, you wouldn't know that from looking at a Nebraska game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, every every few games, he's going to have a game where he just throws every shot really hard at the backboard yeah. <laughs> and goes like one for eight. Uh, yeah, def- that's, that happens defensively. He really helps other guys. Um, he will clear out one, two players um, on the, on the rebound side so that someone else can come in and clear out the boards. Like he is that kind of, he takes up space. He's a willing defender, but he's going to be as helpful offensively as he is defensively. Cause he helps his team out by, by t- taking one or two guys on um, eating up that space, pushing them off. And all of a sudden you'll see a situation where he clears out, a good three, four feet under the basket, and all of a sudden the guard comes in and grabs an easy rebound. Like every time you see a guard with an easy rebound, it's probably because Evan's clearing out one or two dudes from underneath. Um, so he he's all over the court. He's going to do so many different things. He's, he's almost a coach on the court uh, at times. Um, throughout, throughout the practice uh, and throughout the exhibition against Mines, he was constantly in the ears of all the other forwards saying, like, you needed to be here. You need to be here. Let's go. Let's, he's picking up his teammates. A bundle of emotion and energy, uh, and um, I can't say enough about him. I love him to death, uh, and it's it's going to be painful when he leaves. Yep, but uh, it is what it is. 
It's college. Yep. It's four years. There's there's the I'm sure soon to be famous story that we're probably going to hear on a bunch of different announcers as they struggle for anecdotes about CU. But there, I think at media days, Tad mentioned that he was potentially holding open the director of player development spot for a full year after Nate Tomlinson vacated that. Um, to wait for Evan Bay to graduate before he filled it, and and he would fill it with Evan Bay directly after graduation. Um, and that's a, so yeah, and that's a big spot on your coaching staff to to even contemplate leaving open. Eventually went to Zach Rubisam, uh, who's uh, who's a a long term friend of the program, mm-hmm. uh, and um, you know is a buff, is a true buff. Glad to see him back, uh, but uh, and couldn't go to a, a better candidate. But yeah, if 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 Tad is thinking that far in advance and and is offering that to, to Evan. To, to leave it open for a year like that's saying something yeah that i don't know what else needs to be said about that relationship it's you know they're going to be he's going to be in boulder for a long time everyone loves him um and last anecdote is i think he's probably the best charge taker on the team <laughs> I, I mean he's ridiculously good at getting those charges for how big he is too because we all know realistically he's, no one's ever going to get him down so um yeah, great leader to have uh, being the anchor of your starting five. And then we get into the bench. Um, sixth man, I would say, I guess, you know, whatever you want to call that. First off the bench, we, we have um, some combination of Neat Clifford, KJ Simpson, and Lawson Lovering is what I'm going to say. Yep. Um, and I guess that probably depends on the matchup maybe who comes in first. But let's just start with Neat Clifford. We've mentioned him a little bit. He's a swing forward, one of those swing forwards from Colorado, highly rated recruit, still growing into his body a little bit. Um, and I, you know, I full of latent potential. I think he's seeing that a bit more. He's definitely more developed this year. And I, I just like seeing the consistent effort he's bringing. Cause it, when you bring that, it's a little bit easier for your shot to fall. Um, and for you to get enough minutes for you to, to make an impact. So I think he's going to be fun to watch on both sides of the ball. This yeah. year. You said growing to his body, like he gained 15 pounds and it's clear over the off season, like he's bigger, he's more mature. Um, I think he can certainly uh, hang, hang in physically with, with Pac-12 teams now. Uh, I think, okay, well, where's his shot going to be? And uh, can he consistently get into the lane and can he distribute? Will he have the court vision? Like those, th- I still have some questions, but uh, along the lines is what you mentioned. I have high hopes for him this year. I think he's going to take a nice step forward. More to the point, Tad has said repeatedly that he thinks that Neek is prime for that moment, uh, that he is, he's a sleeper that people are, are, are not paying attention to enough. Um, and I, it, we talked about, he's going to, he's going to get minutes. And, and if he really starts uh, taking that next step, he could fight for a starting spot pretty quickly. And then next, I'm just going to put in KJ Simpson right there. Um, he's a steal on the recruiting trail from a late, another late defection from a Miller brother recruiting class. The gift that keeps giving. Um, KJ Simpson was committed to Arizona, signed. Uh, Sean Miller is fired unceremoniously. KJ Simpson releases. He comes into the CU program after Tab Boyle cut a relationship with him. Uh, lightning bug out of California um, was it's, I don't know, it, scraping the bottom of six feet. Maybe I would say he's a little bit below that, um, <laughs> but still a combo guard. And yeah, he's just, I, I think electric with the ball in his hand, definitely pushes the pace early and often um, always going at a hundred. He's going to go for more steals than you'll see any other player go for, um, you know, and that can be good and bad, but in general, he's just constantly going to bring energy. And I, the thing, this is going to be a really small thing, but the thing I loved watching before 
um, this season started against Nebraska and Mines is his shot is like zero seconds to get up in the air. It yes, takes that's what no I said. Time. That's what I said after seeing the the open practice. Yeah, but he's just like short arms. Just it's gone. It's gone. He's it's so nice yeah. to see. I mean, it's not a it, huge deal in college, but it's super fun because yeah, it just it takes him no time to get that shot up, and it looks pretty good. But um, it looks good. Yeah, those are my thoughts about KJ. I think we're going to see a lot of him this year. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think he's a, a more sorry, Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a more natural point guard than Keyshawn. And I think that that could end up being a pretty big deal, especially when you have the two guard lineups, like when KJ and Keyshawn are on the court together. I think KJ is probably going to need to learn uh, some lessons in that regard and uh, carry the offense a bit more than we. I don't know. Go ahead, Ben. Yeah, they're they're different players. You know, Keyshawn to KJ, they're they're different players. I think. Um, Again, I don't want to saddle him with this, but Keyshawn's more of a Don Collier type in terms of he um, he's going to be more of a traditional point guard as opposed to a KJ who's going to be more of an instigator like Ken would be in trying to get into the lane and trying to get to the rack. Difference there might be a little bit more that KJ has uh, a better shot, I think, ultimately, uh, but we'll see there. Um, you know, we, we talked yeah, about then, bundle of energy. Yeah, off. Go ahead. Sorry, and Keyshawn driving is more looking for fouls, looking for layups, which he's going to be pretty good at. Right. And both of them can get into the lane. I don't want, I don't want to create yeah. too much of a dichotomy there. Both of them are going to try to attack. I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at Keyshawn as more of a, he's a little bit more comfortable on the perimeter, whereas yep. KJ is constantly, he has that burp his ass. He constantly wants to yep. attack, 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 attack. Um, so that's where the difference there is. Um, in terms of KJ, as I mentioned earlier, I think he's got a spark plug off the bench, microwave type. Um, you know, in the mold of freshman, uh, you know, ski, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, every time a Miller loses a job, we get a new point guard. So <laughs> thank you to that family. Um, uh, I can't wait to see their next job because then I can start planning on where our next point guard is going to come. Ugh, and they're both unemployed, so we can keep Are they both unemployed? Up. They're both currently unemployed, yeah. Could they be CU's football coach? And then that way we have a million point guards <laughs> Well, we have Drew oh, Carter on the football team. That's so true. If, uh, and Julian Hammond could also swap. Um, yep. But we'll get to him in a sec. But, yeah, I, I don't okay. know. Simpsons, I think Simpson's going to be the easiest freshman for, for fans, casual or not, to get excited about just because his impact is so easily seen. Um, and, it, I mean, there's, there's everything that goes with it. His floppy hair, like, gets back perfectly as he sprints, so it just looks like he's going even faster, like he has speed trails. I don't know. It's just, it's super fun to watch him. He has a nice floater game already too. He's comfortable scoring at all three levels. Um, and he dunks for a five eleven guy. He dunks pretty often. So something we did not see McKinley or Skia do much of in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I think last point guard that dunked frequently was either Dinwiddie or Shannon Sharp. So, um, Tron Hopkins, Tron Hopkins would, would throw down. Was he That's a point true. guard though? I thought you. Well, it depends on <laughs> if you accept. It, it depends on if you accept the the uh, the pre pre prescribed uh, role right. that they tried to fit him into. Okay, that was okay. the experiment. Was that he was a point guard? Did it fail or not? Who knows? But that was the experiment. Um, I think we know. Well, yeah, good at Fresno State. Um, any so the last guy probably coming off the bench, another freshman. Oh, I should say, Nick Clifford is a is a sophomore slash COVID freshman. KJ is a true freshman. Lost and Levering, the last guy, is another true freshman. And out of the three exhibitions I saw, which was the Costa Rica, the Mines, and then the Nebraska game before the season, I came away the most 
sure of Lawson's improvement throughout the year as someone's going to be a huge impact at the end of the year that may not be at the beginning of the year. Um, I, I was just, I'm, I, he's seven feet tall easily. And I think he has arms that are even longer than that. Um, but he is the opposite of a plotter. I was consistently impressed in minds in Nebraska at his activity level on both ends of the floor. Um, and just the amount of like space he takes up. Um, and we didn't get to see much of his offensive game. We, I, Tad has said he can shoot. I haven't seen that yet. Um, but I, I think he's just a great development, development piece. He was a huge recruit coming out of high school. Um, and I, I think we're going to see that in the next few years as he gains pounds because, God, he is active and huge. Yeah, he's a big dude. He is all of seven, seven, one. Like there is sometimes you see a seven footer in college, quote unquote. And, um, you know, they're really 6'10", maybe wearing some extensions or, or weird uh, or, or being measured weird um, with, with Lawson. He is all of that height. He is a big dude. Uh, but as you noted, he, he has very quick feet uh, for a big guy. Um, he's got a really nice frame. I think he'll um, I think he'll continue to grow in college. Um, first thing first first moment I, I looked at him, uh, I went, oh, he could be Caleb Tarzuski in like three or four years in terms of size, because he's got a really nice frame Um, in terms of who he is as a player right now. Length. Yeah. Length is big thing. Um, He, he's shown off a couple times pivot moves where he just uses his arms and they go for days. He uses his arms to just essentially go around dudes. Um, You know, again, good feet work. Uh, I haven't really been too impressed with his shot yet. Um, I, as you noted, people have said he can shoot. I've seen it on recruiting videos. Okay. He can hit shots. I don't know if it's there yet. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't trust it too much right now. Uh, but in terms of what is he, he what is he going to provide day in, day out, um, on the offensive side and the defensive side is going to be length. Um, I think they're going to play a lot of zone with him defensively. Um, I think he's going to be the centerpiece of a zone. They're going to try to use his size to take up the, the source space. Evan would just take up naturally by running around. Um, I think just putting him at the center of the zone, having him stick out his arms, having him move around with his feet work. Uh, they're going to rely on that with, with zone a little bit. Um, and, and then offensively. Yeah. He's going to use his length to get around guys. He's going to use his footwork to get around guys. Now, the last time we saw a cornerstone uh, center pro- uh, prospect like this, we're talking Josh Scott. They are not comparable in terms of their instant impact. It is going to right. take Lawson a little. He is not the polished offensive product that Josh Scott was when he arrived on campus. He's going to take a little bit of time to develop, but that's also natural for centers at this level. You, you rarely see a center come in and dominate right out of the, right out of the gate. Um, so don't be surprised if November, you know, halfway through December, he's still trying to feel things out. But yeah, come towards the end of the year, we're going to really start to see some big climbs from him. Uh, and, um, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see how he develops with us. Cause he is going to be a monster. Yeah. He missed a few bunnies against mine. That was just like, man, you give him a little bit more weight in the legs where he gets up a bit more. And those are just like easy turnaround. I don't know. He has touch. He has f- feet. Like you mentioned a million times. It's just so quick. Um, yeah, I don't know. He's, I, I was just like, I haven't seen a center prospect like that at CU. I don't think I have period. I think Josh Scott's the last really good one. Totally different player. I don't know. You you think of seven foot white dudes. You think of Shane Harris Tonks, and you think of Ben Mills, and he's not different. Ben Mills. Completely yeah. different. Yeah. Right. He's he's not one of those lugs that's just there to. He he moves and he's so fluid. I don't know. I I just came away so impressed um, with with what I saw. Sam, anything to add before we go into some of the more bit players? 
I mean, no, he's very active. Like he is going to learn really quickly um, defensively. I think like that's always going to be really difficult, especially coming from Wyoming and not really playing against the highest level of competition. He's going to get tested in the pick and roll. And I think he might struggle for a bit, but he's going to be learning really valuable lessons that will build upon his game. Yeah. And that's just a weapon that not a lot of college schools have. So it's fun to have CU have a nice big seven footer. <laughs> um, let's, let's round it out with, I think we have four scholarship players left. I think we can expect to see Luke O'Brien and Julian Hammond play quite a bit out of those four. Um, so let's start with Luke O'Brien, another local kid out of Columbine high school was kind of a do everything point guard for them, became another small forward up here. Um, he's, he's all a six, seven, definitely super built. I, you know, I, I, he has to be up past 200 pounds. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think he's a good energy guy. I like when he slashes a lot. I think he's a good offensive rebounder. Um, you know, the big thing Tad has mentioned multiple times is his shooting coming out of high school. I have yet to see that show up. <laughs> um, and I don't know if it will, but he can still do good work with being activity guy, I think. So, yeah. yeah, yeah I think we, we, we expected him to be like, Jack, I know you picked him as like, oh, we'll have like a catch and shoot like threat. Yeah. Like that, that'll be so nice to have. But it turns nope. out that he's just white. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we thought. Well, that. <laughs> I mean, Tad mentioned a million times that he shot so often in high school, but his percentages were never oh. that great. And I was like, oh, he's just getting covered a lot. It just has not translated. Anyways, sorry. But yeah, he's big, he's athletic, and he's handsome. And <laughs> I don't really know much else about his game, to be honest. I, I think I'll, we'll, we'll learn. I, I, yeah, I think the image of Luke in our heads is often better than the product you'll actually see on the floor. Like, I, I in my mind, I see a player ready to go, and then I see him on the court, and he's not there yet. Um, his shot, he's got a quick release, but I think it's rushed at this point. I think he's trying to get the ball out of his hand so fast that it's not balanced um, and he's not taking effective quality quality shots at the basket. Um, he did fill out a little bit, you know, sort of like uh, sort of like Neek. He put on about 15, 20 pounds and he looks the part like he looks the part. Um, I'm I, I want him to to have opportunities because, you know, part of the justification for turning away a Deshaun or Dry is we want to get a player like Luke more, more time on the court. Okay. But what is he going to do with that time? I, I, again, I, my vision of him is probably, um, is probably ahead of where he is as a player right now. Could he still develop into something? Sure. But time is starting to, to, to dribble through the, uh, the hourglass. Um, so yeah, with Quincy sideline, he's got an opportunity, uh, but he's got to, he's got to take advantage of it right now. Uh, the, the other piece we have is yet another local product that continues to dominate the top of the state of Colorado. Um, we have Julian Hammond coming in. And every time I keep thinking like, oh, is it Donald? But I know it's not Donald Hammond. That is an Air Force quarterback that beat CU at CU in 2019. Uh-huh. It is Julian Hammond. Uh, and Julian Hammond was a quarterback and a point guard for Cherry Creek for four years. Um, comes into CU, focuses on basketball. A bit taller, I think, than some of the other guards we have. I, you know, I, he's around Keyshawn's size, maybe a little taller. Um, and another thing, coming out of high school, he was another guy that was pegged as a shooter. I'm definitely seeing that a bit more with him than with than, than with Luke O'Brien or some other players. Um, and 
you know, I this is going to be mean to everyone, but I'm still going to plow ahead. But I think what I've seen so far is he's kind of what I wanted Xavier Talton to be um, in terms of a guy that will get you 15 minutes or 20 minutes, and he'll he'll do okay in every ask. He, he'll run the plays you ask him to run. He'll move the ball. It won't ever stick, and he won't get completely destroyed. You know, he's not going to be the guy that people pick on the defense, I think. Um, but still young, um, and, and I think that the, the headline on him is he's, he's a pretty good shooter, um, and, he, and he won't lose you games. It's two things I keep thinking of. If you told me, if you could tell me right now that he'd have Xavier Talton's career, I'd take it in a heartbeat. Um, right. He hit yeah. a lot of crap on Xavier when he was in school, but he was a good player, and he and he 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 forged a pretty strong career for himself uh, at uh, at CU. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Julian having played football for so long and split for so long, this is really his first opportunity to really focus on basketball. So it's a little bit of a project. Um, I did like what I've seen so far, like the scrimmage and, you know, the exhibition against mines, particularly like I liked what I saw from him, you know, speed. He's got really good speed, really good quickness. Um, I think he can be a, a fringe uh, one or a two to, to spell, um, you know, when we need someone to be in there for a couple minutes a game. I think he needs time. Uh, but then ultimately, yeah, I think Xavier Tallon is kind of probably a good comp for him uh, ultimately mm-hmm. about where he could be. And if he and if he achieves that level, that's a pretty strong use of um, use of his time here. Yeah, Sam. Anything to add? Nope. But we can move on to Javon Ruffin, who I hope will play. <laughs> I yeah. hope he'll come back healthy sooner than later because I don't really trust Julian Hammond yet. I don't think he's going to be ready to play uh, mid major minutes. So. Well, yeah, I guess that's kind of what I'm trying to say is like, I think if, if at the end of his career, Hammond is a guy, maybe Dom Collier is the same thing where it's like you put him on the court for 15 minutes or 20 minutes, the offense is still going to run. You're still going to get pretty good shots. and He's still going to defend. I think that's really good. I think that's a really good th- thing to be. But um, yeah, so let's get to Javon Ruffin. The other guard signed another true freshman. Um, he had a, I think it was a knee injury. It was a leg injury. Um I sidelined him for all of the summer practices and games in Costa Rica. Uh, we saw him briefly, briefly against Colorado School of Mines. I don't know if he ever took the court against Nebraska. Um, he, didn't. he didn't? Okay. And, yeah, he has the best hair on the team, for sure. Um, he has a, a still a massive brace on there. Um, that he's going to take a long time to work through. So his learning curve is even steeper than a lot of the other freshmen. Um, but he has the best size of all the guards that have signed. So he's, he's six, four easy. Um, definitely a bit big slower, wingspan. big wingspan. Yeah. Um, and another guy coming out of high school that was kind of pegged as a shooter. Um, definitely shot a lot in high school. He moved around, played in new Orleans, played in Phoenix cause his dad is an NBA scout. Um, so I don't know. It seems like a, another classic tad point guard prospect, tall guy, um, not a huge athlete, but just can get to spots he needs to, but you know, we haven't seen much. Yeah. More of a two or three. Um, when I, when I first got my eyes on him during the scrimmage, the open scrimmage, the player that immediately jumped to my mind was Jeremy Adams. And that's both mm. for good and bad. Like Jeremy was a good versatile basketball player, but he was also constantly injured um, and never really got to, to play healthy, free basketball. And when I saw uh, Javon take the court, that's what I saw, a player who isn't capable of playing healthy free basketball right now. Um, you know, he's, he's limited because of the injury, his recovery, um, and ultimately I think that's where his season's probably going to go is a red shirt 
would be my expectation. Uh, and that's even before Tad said, uh, said as much this year that they're going to be talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they've still got a little time to think about it, but, um, but yeah, it, you know, and, and Jeremy Adams, again, a really good basketball player. If you told me right now that he could be Jeremy Adams, like I'd take that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, another player that comes to mind is a Marcus Relford, uh, a guy who's versatile, versatile, you That's... know, wing player who can, who can rebound, who can um, do a lot of different things, who can bring the basketball to court, do a bunch of stuff. Uh, both of those players came to mind when I was watching him, but again, you, I would, I would caution you against any expectations this year because I think recovery has got to be his number one focus. Uh, any final thoughts, Sam? No, I, I think I, I saw his high school clips and I see like a big guard who can like initiate and shoot a little bit, but I, again, like I, I, I haven't seen him in person really, and I don't think we will for a while. I hope right. that he can play. Because, like, my idea of Javon Ruffin is a better player than my idea of Julian Hammond, even though I have really no evidence to say either <laughs> of which is better. So yeah, that, that's I kind mean, of where yeah. I am with, like, the the like the like 10th and 11th guys on this team of, like, mostly unproven players. It's just hard to tell anything. Well, right and now. we don't really need to for 2021-2022. Yeah. So, yeah, he's not, he's not going to be the, the key to success or the, the reason for failure. No matter what, um, unless yeah. I miss anyone, the last guy is Quincy Allen. Am I missing anyone? No, no, that's all twelve. Yeah. And he is out for the year with a hip injury. We've talked about him a bit. Um, was the, the I think the first second commitment in this class. He was really early. He visited before COVID. Um, and yeah, Lawson was first, and then Quincy. That's right. Okay, yeah, Hi- highly rated out of DC, which is a a far pull for Tad Boyle. Um, just, I, you know, I, we talked about him when he signed. I still think if there's a guy, he would be the guy that'd be most, I would vote most likely to drop 30 in a given night. I think he's just such a natural scorer. Um, good athlete, great shooter. That's a good recipe for offensive success. The thing that people have knocked him on coming out of high school is his motor. It runs off and on. So maybe a year away from the game will ignite some more fire, but we won't see him at all this year. Still an exciting piece in the years to come. Yeah, the, the the big thing that surprised me about him was I saw him without crutches uh, at the scrimmage. Um, that's not to say he's going to come back this year or anything like that, but hope is that um, recovery uh, is is well on its way. Uh, yeah, it's it's a blow that he's not able to be uh, a part of this uh, this crew this year. This year, as we said, that um, I think wing is really where we could use some some help, and he would have uh, I think paired nicely uh, with um, uh, with Tristan and some of the other guys in, in the three role this year. Uh, but, but nonetheless, uh, we got to move forward without him. And, um, I, I really look forward to being able to see him next season. So that is the cast and characters of this year's TV show. Let's look at the plot zooming out. Um, let's just, yeah, let's just walk through this. What do we think is a realistic expectation for this team? What are we looking to see from the 21, 22 Colorado Buffaloes, um, this season? Sure. And I'll start so, with, go ahead. Yep. Yeah. So we are a recruit and develop team and this is a recruit and develop year. Right. Um, you know, Ted said it a, a, a thousand times, you know, we're, we're not a rent to Jersey program. Uh, we're a buy-in program. And this is the year that that really starts to develop. And I don't want to shortchange Elijah and Evan on their senior seasons, but this is about development. So if you come into this season, having come off the high of last year, looking for a repeat, you are going to be disappointed. 
please let, let, let's play the expectation game appropriately right now and sort of set our set our views slightly lower. I'm not saying this team's going to go under 500 or anything like that, but you know we we need to appropriately sort of look at you know what what as you put it reasonable uh, expectation for this team. Um, more to the point, you can't replace a player like Kim. Uh, and the last time we tried, the year after the Spencer Dinwiddie um, experiment came to its end, it was a freaking nightmare. Uh, we end up in the CBI. We're losing to Seattle. Everyone's yelling at each other. Everyone hates each other. It's an, it's an absolute nightmare. So we're seizing the Tab Boyle's tenure with us. Mm-hmm. I do not think we will see that either. We're going to be somewhere in the middle, right? Um, I think somewhere around uh, 17 to 18 wins is, is a good baseline expectation. Um, you will see this team improve as the year goes on, uh, particularly as players uh, like Lawson and KJ start to come into their own. Neek start to come into their own and really make an impact. This team's going to improve it as it goes along. Um, you're going to see games in, in February where we are knocking off teams that in December we wouldn't have had a, a chance uh, to look at. So, um, so yeah, what, what is reasonable 17, 18 ish wins, maybe a fringe NIT appearance, uh, mid table in the pack 12. Uh, I'll take that. I think that's a solid goal. Sam. Yeah. I, I like the mid table in the pack 12, mostly because we don't really know much about the rest of the pack 12. We know two teams are going to be great. A few teams are going to be really good. And the rest is complete question marks, but we don't have to get into that. But, uh, yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. I uh, hopefully you can push towards 20 wins. Mm-hmm. Um, the non-con schedule is pretty, pretty tough, but, uh, yeah, we just, we just want growth this season. We want to see players be tremendously better in March than they were in October or November. Now, um, I really just have some concerns with, um, like replicating, like you, you can't do a direct repl- replacement for McKinley, right? But I do wonder if this team has enough ball handling, if it has enough playmaking just in general. And I, I don't know if that can be like the offensive system can replace what one player did, because I don't think that that's really how a tad offense is going to go. But that's my main concern, really. And I think that we'll see players grow into those roles. Mm. All right, uh, I'll go last, and I guess I'll just bring a little more hard predictions in. Um, So I think that the schedule sets up for a pretty so-so record, at least through the beginning of conference play. Um, There are some teams that are easy traps in non-conference. I am now just super terrified of UW-Milwaukee because Patrick Baldwin Jr. Um, And there's some obvious losses. I think Tennessee, Kansas, and UCLA, you can just pencil in right now. But I think UCLA might count as a conference game. Um, yeah, and I mean, and that that preseason tournament, uh, where we either meet Creighton or CSU in the finish line, that'll tell us a lot. Uh, but also might not because of the way this team might grow. That, that's going to be a tough test. So you balance that with some some free wins in non conference, and you're looking at a, I would assume a pretty above average, above 500 record, but not, you know, we're not going to go 13 and 0 or something. And then the conference play starts. Uh, harder than I think it did last year, and it ends easier than I think it did last year. If I remember right, CU has all the, the a lot of the home games backloaded, and also has a lot of the easier teams backloaded, which is good yeah. for a team like this that's going to grow throughout the year. So I think you're going to see a nice push at the end of the year, maybe some Pac-12 conference championship wins or tournament wins, um, and you'll land right at that 18-19 threshold, 
and hope you get into the NIT for some postseason experience. That's kind of what yeah. I'm expecting. Yeah, you, 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 real quick, you mentioned uh, the opportunity to potentially see CSU down in the Virgin Islands. Uh, in a normal situation, had COVID not impacted it last year and um, the schedule had, had been more or less normal this season as well, we would have been going back up to Fort Collins. Uh, that, that CSU team is going to be pretty good. That would be a really good. freaking nightmare. And I'm glad we're not going back up there. <laughs> same, thing with, uh, same thing with Kansas. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that last year's team yeah. uh, uh, or two years ago team uh, went to uh, went to Lawrence um, rather than, um, you know, had something worked out where this team had to go to Lawrence. My God. Um, and Tennessee, the, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. Tennessee. Well, yeah. Even last year with Tennessee, although that was um, that was a late replacement game. Like that would have been real tough for a team like this. So. You know, having Kansas at home, having Tennessee at home, are those potentially wins? You never want to count out Colorado at altitude at the CEC. But yeah, as you noted, you know, let's let's kind of pencil those in as losses. Fair enough. I think UCLA is sort of similar. Really good team this year. So if you're looking at the non-conference schedule, um, and especially if we run into CSU down in the Virgin Islands, that's four losses. Um, mm-hmm. You know, right away you're talking nine and four, and then you usually have some hiccup along the way. So now you're talking eight and five non-conference before we get to, well, eight and five including two conference games uh, before you get uh, to the new year and the in the full mm-hmm. conference slate. If you can pencil us in for eight and 10 that means you're talking 16 and 15 all in is that acceptable and maybe that's more of a question for you guys yeah. is would you be happy with a 16 and 15 season from this bunch oh uh, man. i think, think it's good i i think the floor it really i okay jack go ahead i need to think about what i'm saying I think it would depend on the 16 <laughs> that, that you see. Um, mm-hmm. I'm expecting boneheaded losses. I think our annual loss sacrifice to Cal is in the cards again. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't expect this team to be a straight line to improvement. But I also think you'll have some opportunities. This team might just have a night where they're on fire and these freshmen can't miss. And they just play, you know, there's, there might be, a, I think there's a night where they punch up. And Tad's always pretty good at punching sure. up. Sure. Um so it's going to be a different punching up, though, than some previous Tad's years where it's like defense rebounding travels. I think a lot, that might be shakier this year, but I also think you might see some explosions from, from players that just have it going on. Um, I don't know. I, I think 16 to 15, if they beat a few ranked teams, I would be okay with that. And it also, you know, if we're looking at Pac-12, if they end that with like getting to the semifinals of the Pac-12 tournament, I'd be d- super okay with that. If we could, yeah, if we could repeat last year, that'd be that'd be pretty fun. Um, it, I guess my my overall worry is that um, the fan base, because they've been away for a year, um, and and certainly Colorado basketball is is not the marquee program like football is. Like we've seen it, football is still carrying fifty thousand people in the stands, yeah. Even though they're well, they are who they are. Um, I, I I'm worrying that there is going to be a narrative dissonance. Uh, with the fan base, with the overall fan base, with the student section, with the with the alumni base, um, that uh, you know might take some time to really buy into what's going on this year. Really interesting pieces, really interesting growth season. Uh, we've got a really interesting schedule as we've talked about. That yeah. should be something that you buy into. You want to come to the arena every night, and I hope people do buy into that. Um, but my worry is if it's a 16-15 season and we're losing games at home to you know, Washington for no freaking reason. Like, are, are people going to, are, are people going to buy that, especially because they didn't get to 
physically see last year's yeah. team person. Like I, I do have a little bit in the back of my mind, like if this thing is going to go off the rails, it's going to be aided and abetted by that kind of scenario. Hmm. Right. Sam, your thoughts? Well, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule. The first four games um, in like January with students back on campus, the first four home games are USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Oregon State. That could be... You could go 0-4 right there. You could. Yeah, you could go 0-4, and you could just have a really fun time with some really big games, yeah, even if they I, I lose mean, all yeah. four. Yeah. Like we, we like we talk about like the sixteen and fifteen record. I that would be pretty bad in my opinion, considering the veteran, uh, like the veteran talent on the team. But the the McKinley Wright Tyler Bay freshman team they went seventeen and fifteen, and we were so hyped about that. Yeah, because well, uh, they beat number four they, Arizona State, right? And they beat number ten Arizona. That's what I was trying to say. Is like yeah, you have some yeah, of those yeah, yeah. wins. I don't care really. If, if you have yeah. some of those, yeah, well, go 16 to 15. It's interesting you bring that team up. I mean, that team came to fight every night. Yeah, they didn't mm-hmm. win. They didn't win every game. But, you know, even even games like South Dakota State that year, like no, oh. not a lot of people who aren't basketball. Mike Dom. Yeah, Mike Dom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not uh, A lot of people who aren't basketball heads would have probably looked past that game on the schedule. I couldn't wait to get in the arena that night. And that game was more than enough for me. <laughs> And it proved to me that that team is ready to go. If we have a night like that against Tennessee, or if we have a night like that against, um, you brought up UW-Milwaukee, um, you know, where it's, where it's a really intense basketball game that we sort of eke out against a really good opponent, like that'll tell me more about this team than almost anything else will. Um, and, uh, and, and if we get that sort of energy, that competitiveness, that, that, that fight, yeah. Um, particularly out of the freshman early, that that's that's going to go a long way to telling me where this program is going to be over the next two seasons. Yeah, I think going back to my what I was trying to say a little bit earlier when I was stumbling around is that I have a lot of major questions about this offense. I think the defense will sort itself out and we'll see more tad ball going forward. Mm-hmm. I think that the offensive questions for me really it they could cap the ceiling pretty bad for the season if like. If, again, Keyshawn doesn't develop as a ball handler, if Jabari Walker proves inconsistent or like he just literally isn't on the floor, like I can't look up and down the roster and think, oh, this guy's going to be good for some like for 10 points every night. Like, I don't Mm. think that there's a single player on the team who can be really dependent on consistently. That's a fair point. Yeah, that's a fair point. That scoring uh, is going to be by committee a lot of nights. Uh, we don't have a guy who's going to get you 20 every night. Um, and, the, and yeah, that's that's a worry, particularly at this level. And that's why it's defense first. You see this team playing defense. That's that's going to go a long way to how competitive are they going to be uh, in a month or two's time. Yeah. Yeah. And well, then, again, the, the shooting, too. Like if, if you're if your forwards or if your big men are your best shooters on the team, that's <laughs> usually not good. I think he will surprise you. Like I, I think he will surprise you. His um, shot's yeah. fun. I mean, it's yeah, he's smooth. It's, he's smooth. He launches. Um, I think we've discussed the floor by proxy. I think with sixteen to fifteen, though, some of us might have a lower floor. But I'm going to cap it there. Let's look at let's look at the ceiling. Let's look at the best case. If Jabari does become a night in night out scorer, chops down the fouls. If KJ becomes a the sixth man, Pac-12 sixth man of the year. If Eli's Pac-12 defensive player of the year. You know, we're locking people down. We have enough offense to, to scrape by. What are we looking at here? What is it? NCAA tournament again? Ceiling? 
Uh, the friends. Yeah. Go ahead. I okay. think that the the Pac-12 could have simultaneously a perception bump and a quality dip this year, and I think that that would be a nice little middle ground to hit. Wouldn't that be ironic? Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be <laughs> ironic? Fine being overrated. Is finally the nation starts paying attention to Pac-12 basketball, and we're not as good as maybe we were the, the last couple of years because this is a good, fun league the last couple of years. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, if if UCLA and Oregon are like top ten teams all year, I think that would be fucking great. But if like the third best team is like Arizona and they're not very good, or it's Washington State and they're just like pretty good, I think that could be nice. I, I have higher hopes than for for Arizona than I think a lot of other people. I think yeah, it's first year program, but there's a lot of talent down there. I think I think they'll shine out a little bit. Um, UCL yeah. will, will also be dangerous too. Um, yeah, I think Mathurin is a contender for Pac-12. We, player, we love him. He's a Ralphie Report favorite. But we're going to continue. <laughs> there you go. Uh, in terms of um, in terms of like a, a best case scenario. If um if Colorado finishes like fourth in the league, which I think is probably their ceiling, you Whoa. know, if, if, yep. if somehow we contrive to finish fourth, um, and and that's probably a reach. I think that would be the absolute ceiling, and I think that would be a season where like everything went right. Right. Um, yeah. I think more realistically, your best case scenario, or you're like you're you're, you're like. 80 percentile top range mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, that's more like a fifth place finish in the, in the conference. And maybe given the fact that the league is a little bit more well-respected now after last year's uh, March runs, um, you, you might talk about a uh, 12 seed. Yep. I could see that. I don't think it's much higher than that. We don't, especially since you don't know how the team's going to react to post-kin life and you, you kind of suspect how it's going to react to post-kin life. Um, I, I can't, I can't, in good conscience, uh, say any better than that because, yeah, it's going to take some time. Wasn't, wasn't this past year the first time we ever even had a first round buy in the Pac-12 tournament? Yep, yep. It's first time, first time um, since we've first time we've had a conference tournament buy since my sophomore year of college, which was 2004. David Harrison. Yep. It was. Uh, um, Yes, it was. It was David's last year. Yep. Um, yeah, I guess. I, yeah, I think my ceiling is somewhere around twenty wins. You hit that threshold again. You're already gored, you're, you're golden, especially with this team. I think you're you're looking at surprising. You know, you a win against CSU at the Virgin Islands would be huge, and then you're looking at a surprise win against maybe a Tennessee, and then you're already like, wow, yeah, this team is is legit. Um, and you look at I don't know eleven and seven conference record, and I'd be I'd be pretty happy with that. That's yeah, that's the best case scenario. Um, I'm trying to think if I, I mean ceiling four. We had expectations, we had record. Uh, any other macro things, Sam? We want to ask our resident expert here. Are you afraid of uh, PJ Baldwin in Milwaukee? Uh, I'm afraid of everyone this time of year. Uh- <laughs> Montana um, State, watch out! Well, hey, last time Montana, I think his name was Bobby <laughs> Howard. Last time Montana State came and played us in basketball um, and football, and, and football, obviously, um, it, it was a scare show. I, I remember walking to the gym. I think it was 07. I Remember walking to the gym, like, oh, this is our opportunity to get football revenge for the football loss. And then Bobby Howard goes off this random no no name dude from Montana State, and we get knocked around. Um, uh, 
different time, different era, different program. Um, <laughs> but but nonetheless, yeah, th- this time of year, I'm scared of everyone until we t- until we take the court and we really understand yep. where um, where this team is. We can lose to anybody. Um, we can also beat a lot of these teams on this schedule that maybe we're not talking about, like USC. Tad doesn't lose to uh, to USC, right? Well, we'll we'll, we'll mm-hmm. see. Um, you know, I'm uh, I'm interested to see how the season's going to go. And yeah, I, everyone scares me right now. <laughs> Um, are you are you looking at the schedule at all? Mm-hmm. Is there any like five game stretch that you're really most looking at? Um, in terms of, it, it's hard not to look at that Kansas home mm-hmm. game. You you hit the holidays and then you you come back for Oregon, Oregon State away. Like you're gonna learn a lot about these kids in those yep. three games. Um, if you're looking for a five game stretch, uh, you know. There's that you you guys kind of brought it up earlier. Those home games against, um, you know, those home games against uh, USC, UCLA, Oregon, Oregon State, sandwiched around the road trip to Washington. I'm actually going on that road trip to Washington. Uh, oh, nice. Washington State. Um, you know, that'll be a really interesting stretch because I think by that time, which is end of Ju- uh, uh, sorry, end of January, early February, you're uh, you're going to be seeing the team pretty much as it's going to be, like in terms of its full development. Um, if we're if we're not if we're not firing on all cylinders by then, like, you know, there's something yeah. going wrong with development. Uh, so that's going to be where everyone is uh, development wise. That's going to be the key point to like, what is this team going to look like in, in, you know, 2022, 2023. Um, we're going to know at that point what that team's going to look like. And if we're, we're able to clip off those, a couple of those home games and sweep the Washingtons, that's a really positive stretch. Sweep the Washington oh, State might be really good. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I guess that's my last question. Uh, just looking at the conference as a whole, I think CU is picked sixth in the media poll, um, which I was I thought was very generous. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate that, and I yeah, I'll think take somehow sixth. got one AP vote still also, um, which I assume <laughs> was just left over from last year. But I appreciate that as well. Um, I think we all have CU slotted in that mid tier of the conference, but. Just for fun, is there a team that you're like higher on than than what you appear to, what appears to be the consensus in the conference? Is there a team that you're lower on than the conference uh, consensus? Uh, I have my men- answers, but I'll go last. Uh, as I mentioned, I think Arizona is going to surprise some people. Um, okay, like, we, we've national media forgot about them. I think fan bases forgot about them because of um, uh, you know not being uh, postseason eligible last year and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think they're going to be back. I think they're going to be fine. Uh, the, they'll they'll be strong. They'll be a strong team. Um, in terms of programs that I think are probably too highly ranked, um, I'm not as sold on Washington State as others. Um, although it's always a tough uh, tough trip to Pullman, um, Oregon State as well. I think they got a lot of credit for a couple games in March last year. Cool, and and I'm I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that the silver fox up there was able to save his job. Good for him. Um, to all of our Ken Palms, thank you. <laughs> yeah, um, I I think that um, there's going to be a rude awakening when they when they see the court again, uh, especially with the with the Thompson brothers out of there at this point. Uh, like, uh, yeah, they're going to fall back a bit, and um, we'll, we'll 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 see how they end up being, and maybe they'll prove me wrong. But that that's a team that I think is going to uh, underwhelm. Sam, yeah, I agree on both of those on Oregon State and Arizona. Um, I am a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit worried that UCLA was a fringe NCAA tournament team, and 
their offense was a bit hit or miss. So I, I, I don't know if they should be a top five team. I, I, I think they'll be really good, but we'll see. And then I'm, I'm always generally lower on USC, but that's because I don't believe in Andy Enfield's basketball program. Uh, yeah, you guys are taking all, all of my picks. Um, I actually, I'm going to go the <laughs> well, opposite we're way. Just, the, the we're team just naming I'm everybody. With, I know. Well, except for, yeah, we all know that Cal's last, I guess, is unfortunate for Cal. But um, the, the team that I'm in love with is I actually love Washington State. And part of that's just because of the way they play. I, they're probably at this point being overrated as a media darling. But I don't know. I love that roster. Noah Williams is super fun. I love the grad transfers they brought in. Deshaun Jackson is really fun. Uh, and Dennis Rodman's kid is on there, which is fun. And F.A. Abagide is just an athletic no, he just skies. I don't know. And Kyle Smith is kind of the same way as Tad. It's defense first. It's uh, slow it down a bit. I don't know. I really like them. I hope they go all the way. I think they're an NCAA tournament team this year. The team, if you all you took Oregon State, which is going to be my easy answer, I'm I'm so down on them. I'm going to be fading them pretty hard because um, their main yeah. guy is is who is that? Uh, you know, is it Altiche? I love Altiche. It, it has to be Altiche and. He's uh, yeah, he's, good enough. Yeah. I mean, the tournament run was Ethan Thompson making nutso shots for 40 minutes, and it worked. But that's that's what it was. So that's not going to be possible this year, and that's not going to help him. Um, yeah. Um, another one, Washington could be better than expected, too, just mostly because they brought in competent guards. Yeah, I'm anti-Mike <laughs> Hopkins, though. I, I, I yeah, mean, they, maybe. They, 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 they haven't had quality guards like at <laughs> all in like three years, I think. But it's like Dejan Davis and... Uh, Brandon Terrell or Terrell Brown. Would I don't be think Mike Hopkins is, is is really understood what he wants his program to be. Like, I don't think he's had a very coherent vision. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he finally is sort of like, this is what I want my program to be. This is what we're doing going forward because he's trying to, he's tried to plug and play with, with different people, bring in transfers and it's never really fit. Like it's never really gelled, um, you know, partic- particularly since um, uh, some of the big guys graduated a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I, I get the sense that his time's running out. Uh, and uh, yeah. uh, do you know what his contract looks like, though? I don't. No. I don't have it. No, he gets paid like seven million a year. <laughs> they can't buy him out. They can't buy him out. Oh, well, then, <laughs> well then their AD needs to get fired. But uh, absolutely. Um, yeah. OK, well, uh, yeah, yeah the, their Sorry. defense is they, I want to mention Matisse Thibel because I, it looks like he can't coach a good defense without Matisse Thibel. Well, Matisse Thibel, he 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 plastered over a whole bunch of other issues. I mean, he's a, he's a singular player, right? He's NBA, NBA caliber talent. Um, yeah. And, and you're, you're going to have steps backwards from that. I just don't think he had a very concise vision about how he's going to attack um, developing his program beyond that season. And it, it's shown, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Hopkins is guaranteed $12 million in buyout money on his contract. Oh no. That's Carl the money. Not that I'm looking at his bio. Oh. Um, yeah, that is disgusting. <laughs> and that sounds like they're going to have to replace Jimmy Lake and Mike Hawkins in short order pretty soon. It's borderline negligent and criminal that a basketball program based in Seattle is poor, is bad, like poor performing. It's insane because so many people come out of that city. Um, I mean, you should say the really, same really thing good. about say, say the same thing about Cal Berkeley. How could you have that much basketball it is also, talent right yes. there? I agree. Yeah, that, but that's malpractice. For Twenty years. That's East Bay malpractice. There's, there's no reason that that Cal should be that bad. 
Uh, yeah, I just don't know. Yeah, I guess I don't know. Cal just doesn't seem interested in participating. So that's why I'm going hard after Washington. But was, um, was that our final thoughts? Oh, final thoughts. Shout out to Wilhelm Breidenbach at Nebraska, who is way <laughs> too fucking goofy to be on a bad team like that. If you couldn't laugh, if yeah, if you couldn't laugh looking at him just throwing in buckets uh, on Saturday, and talking like, trash on his way back, yeah, he's a he's a top one hundred recruit too. Yeah. He's going to be good for a long time. It's yeah. crazy. It's, it's, it's hilarious. Um, if you can't laugh watching that kid play, you're in the wrong business. <laughs> it sucks that Fred Horberg actually has uh, talent in that program, and they aren't just a wasteland like they have been. But um, I guess it's a good test. And, uh, yeah, I get, that's the last bit we saw of CU before their game against Montana State. Or, or, November 9th. That's the month we're in. November 9th at home. Um, thank you so much, Ben, for coming on. Um, we kept you longer than expected, but that's because your knowledge is just that great. So, thank you. Yeah, happy to be here. Uh, thanks for the chat. And uh, we'll see everybody at the CEC on the 9th. Yep. That yeah, is, yeah, thank you, 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 Ben. Find him. Oh, I'm going to plug him. Shut up, Sam. I'm doing plugs. Uh, you can find him on Twitter under the name Benjamin Burrows. I think it's at Rumbling Buff with no G. Is that right? Uh, I believe it's at Rumbling Buffalo. Okay, there you go. You also can hear him on Freeball Podcast. They have a Patreon podcast where he came on to dissect a team um, over there. We love those guys, Tyler and Will. So before you jump into the CU basketball season after a um, – Another vacant CU football season in November. Make sure you listen to them as well. And, uh, yeah, we're all getting excited, and we're ready to watch a new era of CU basketball. Yeah, and we're not going to talk about football on the pod. So thank you, Ben. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. See ya. Buzz.